0: Hello and thank you for tuning in to Starting Small, a podcast about brand development, entrepreneurship, and innovation in the modern world. In this episode, I'm joined by Max Levine of Amp Studios, a creator-driven media company generating over 3 billion monthly views. If you even have a glimpse of online presence, you understand that the creator economy is taking off. Max shares the tactics and learnings from creating one of the number one agencies for influencer management. Hello, and thank you for tuning in to Starting Small. Today, I'm joined by Max Levine of Amp Studios. Max, thank you so much for joining me today.
1: No, thanks for having me, Cameron.
0: Of course. So, I'd like to start out with your upbringing. Uh, What would you say your childhood was like, and where did you grow up?
1: Yeah. yeah. So, um, I guess I had a pretty chill um, upbringing. So, I'm from a very small town in New Jersey. It's called Margate. It's right next to Atlantic City. I think. 6,000 people live there year round. So it's a very small beach town and it's very seasonal. And, you know, in the summer, we would call them shoobies, would invade the the town and, you know, they have summer homes and all that. Mm -hmm. And the population would like three, four X in the summer. So I don't know, like I I just grew up in a very small town. And, uh, you know, my dad and grandfather, they were very entrepreneurial. They had small businesses, uh, dry cleaners, and You know, they had two dry cleaners and laundromats and they had the shopping centers that, you know, those, uh, I guess, stores or locations resided in. So, yeah, like I I was always around um, that business type of environment as a kid. Um, However, just like working there, it wasn't super fun. (laughs) So I, I knew from an early stage that. I didn't want that to be like my main focus as I grew up, but yeah, yeah um, you know, I grew up in a you know small town, and it was it was a interesting and unique upbringing, and you know, I had a great time, and um, it was just cool, like just being around like my grandparents, like my grandmother, she was a Holocaust survivor, so wow. just kind of being around her and just like how she approached life. Like obviously, there's positives and negatives that come with that, but yeah, I think it just kind of made me appreciate things a little bit more, and just like in so work ethic. Mm. Um, And that really anything you can achieve if you really put your mind to it. So, you know, I'm grateful to at least like have grown up around my grandmother and my grandfather and just to have, you know, parents and, you know, a sister who, you know, were just like always there and, you know, supportive. So yeah, yeah, that's kind of high level on my childhood at least. For Um,
0: sure. So you, you mentioned your family's uh, ventures with the laundromats. You you didn't really enjoy it. Did you have an entrepreneurial mindset? Uh, what did you? What were your interests? Sports, activities, clubs, et etc. Growing up.
1: Yeah, um, I think my family just generally super active. Mm-hmm. My dad always played basketball. My mom was a fitness instructor. My sister um, she was a, an incredible athlete. More athletic than me. And she got a scholarship and she rode and won a few national championships wow. uh, rowing at UVA. Um, and, you know, I would play baseball and basketball and football and like a lot of the guy sports. And then in high school, I played, uh, you know, I, I, I rode, sorry. So yeah, like, I guess that's kind of what we were up to in terms yeah. of being entrepreneurial. Like I knew I was always interested Yeah. In that. But um, I don't know. Like, I think for me, it kind of took until I was in college really like actually really get into it. For sure.
0: So I saw you went up and you ended up going to Rutgers University. Um, If you can kind of share, uh, what did you study there and what were some of the aspirations uh, for your career also following graduation?
1: Yeah. Yeah. So I was in the business school. I think originally I was planning on doing finance. Um, And I think for better or for worse, you really didn't get into your curriculum until a few semesters in, so like yeah. I think like the first year was just like assimilating and taking all these like weird courses that like I have no way. Actually, like maybe intro to Microsoft Excel or like whatever <laughs> that course is called. Like yeah, I use on a daily basis, but like besides that, wasn't really anything yeah. that actually contributed to like um, I guess what I do now. But sure. I just think in terms of the people that I met, you know, I still have friends that I'm in touch with, you know, constantly that I went to school with. Um, And yeah, I was in the business school, originally finance, and then I kind of switched to marketing. And I started my first businesses when I was kind of like a freshman heading into sophomore year. And then I took a semester off uh, after my first semester of junior year, because I was technically a semester ahead. Uh And that's when I started like my first like real company. And then I just didn't go back. So that's kind of Yeah. <laughs> like I, I kind of view Rutgers as a springboard. And I think a lot of it had to be with had to do with like the actual location because yeah. it was close to New York and I met a lot of really interesting people and built my network. And I think that more than anything was helpful. You yeah. know, Rutgers, it's an interesting school. Like, I don't know, like I think the people there um or just like the progressiveness of the business school wasn't really there in terms of like Entrepreneurial support and focus. I think it's a lot of people go there if they're in the business school to like do like finance or accounting. For sure. But, yeah, I don't know. Like, I, I think just the people I met there and just how close it was to New York. I think that was really beneficial.
0: For sure. So, I would love to talk about this time period where you start this new company, this venture, and I, we talked earlier in the tech side. Um, yeah. What did that look like, especially being a student? You you started it while you're in school. Then you took a semester off, you didn't go back. What, what did this period look like? What was the company exactly as well?
1: Yeah, so um, when I was, I must've been a sophomore junior, I kind of forget at this point, but <laughs> I was working at, at a marketing agency. And what we did was we did brand partnerships for Jimmy Kimmel Live and Reddit and Manny Pacquiao. So it'd be mm-hmm. like pretty significant sponsorship deals. Like they'd bring in a brand to do a sponsorship with Jimmy Kimmel Live and it was like a half a million dollar deal. Wow. And there was a YouTube component to those, you know, activations. So like if it was like Coca-Cola wanting to do a brand integration with Jimmy Kimmel live, there's a YouTube component and Jimmy Kimmel like pretty much like syndicate his content on his YouTube channel. Right. Yeah. And I think I must've been studying for finals or something one day. And I was on Instagram back in 2013, like the late or the mid spring of 2013. Yeah. And I, I came across influencers, we know them now. Um back yeah. then I had no idea who these people were. And I was like, oh, like who are these people? Like they're not celebrities. They're not really like anyone that you know should have a following. I kind of thought it was interesting. Yeah. Especially because what we're doing at that that agency, you know, there's like, you know, social media components to like these brand, you know, campaigns yeah. that we're running. So I started reaching out to a bunch of them. A lot of feedback was hey, you know, I'm doing it for fun or making $50 promoting some spammy app. And, like, a lot of these creators I was talking to were, like, two or three years later, were, like, some of the biggest creators on the Internet. Wow. But, like, no one, including me, knew, knew what would happen. Um, yeah. And I started going to, like, the CEO of the agency that I was at and even other agencies in New York City being, like, hey, like, we should start bringing branded content opportunities to these creators. Mm-hmm. No one really saw it. Um, it would have been what is now known as an influencer marketing agency, Yeah. like, I guess, nine years ago. But didn't really do that because there's really no support or infrastructure. So I was like, okay, like I'll just do it on my own. One of the creators I was talking to, his name was Brent Rivera.
0: Mm.
1: He was 15 years old at the time. He had a few hundred thousand on Instagram and he was, you know, just doing it for fun. And I kind of, I guess got into the right time, built a relationship with him and his family. And then uh, started managing him. This is back in like November, 2013, I think we signed. And Brent then took off on the app Vine uh, and he was one of the top 10 biggest creators in Vine before that kind of died out. So it was like him wow. and the Paul brothers and, you know, I'm trying to think of us, King Batch, like a lot of like the OG content creators. So, yeah. again, a lot of it was just like right time, right place, but also putting myself out there. Again, a lot of it is just like random, just to be completely really honest. Like, yeah, it would have been impossible to predict like Brent would have 90 some odd million, you know, nine years later and still be you know, incredibly prominent for sure. So again, that's kind of long winded in terms of how I got my start. But, you know, I guess even when I was just getting into especially like on the creator side, I wasn't really interested in creating a management company. I just felt that was inherently not really scalable. Like it's a service based business. Yeah. Can't really build an own IP. So I was like, okay. Like how do we build an own IP in this space? Like kind of having like a venture back business that would have scale. Yeah. Um, a problem that we noticed was like a lot of these creators or really anyone with an audience in social media, they were getting hundreds and thousands of comments, DMs, mentions on a daily basis of people wanting their attention to be able to interact with them. Mm-hmm. But maybe the creator would respond to, like one or two here or there. Yeah. So there's a problem because, you know, they built these massive audience- audiences. It's too hard for one person to kind of like manage. However, there's a massive demand, but, you know, limited supply in terms of interacting sure. with these people. So we built uh, or you know, started a tech company. Originally it's called Shimmer to make it easier for really these creators to interact with their audiences. And to be honest, like that was before a lot of these apps or really anything really started popping up in, I guess, what you now call the creator economy. Yeah. Or sorry, creator economy. Now it's obviously a pretty hot space, but that was an interesting experience for me because, you know, we eventually raised, you know, several million dollars through VCs. I went through tech stars. Um I learned a lot about business, life, relationships, raising capital, what not to do, yeah, <laughs> more stuff sure. to do. Um, I don't think that's really helped me. Um, but yeah, like long story short, I left that company in 2017 uh, just because we're you know struggling to get product market fit, especially because yeah. you know like just to be honest, you need tens of millions of dollars in the consumer tech space just yeah. to keep, keep up with like shipping features and hiring engineers. Um, and even just like incentivizing users or creators to like, you know, come back to your platform. And we just were born on a budget, to be honest. So it wasn't really quite there. And yeah, like long story short, we pivoted. Now it's called community. Um, You know, a lot of celebrities or even like Joe Biden or Michelle Obama, Justin Bieber, they have numbers where you can text them, but that's the origin story for that that company. Wow! But I left that company to start what I'm doing now. So I'll kind of pause there because that was
0: no. Lot. That's that's super impressive, and it sounds like you're truly one of the pioneers, like in the influencer, especially like management and growth space. 2013 at such an early stage in the creator economy. Yeah, I, I, I'm curious, like watching this navigate. Um, where was your mindset at this point? You have a successful venture here. You want to see what's going to be scalable now where did you want to shift? You you shift into management or you shift into creating yeah. a, a pool of creators? What does that look like?
1: Yeah. So I think in mid 2017, we just, at least a tech company, you know, I was managing Brent the entire time on the side and Brent's business is flourishing. He was growing. And I was like, okay, like <laughs> Brent is more successful as a person than this entire company. Yeah. You know, that's kind of how I was viewing it. And like, also, with that, like it's kind of a magnet just for opportunities as well. And there's a lot we can do with that if we kind of harness it in the right direction. Yeah. And I kind of viewed, okay, if we had to pivot the company, let's go more in a media company direction. Mm. More so a creator-driven media company. Like, how do we build a media company with Brent? Yeah. However, the issue was like the cap table was pretty diluted. There's like all these other people involved in the company, there's VCs. And it was probably just easier to like step aside and start clean, especially with Brent. Yeah. Um, just because, I don't know, I think it would have been too complicated. So I think it was best for all parties to kind of like do, do their own thing. Um, mm-hmm. And I was kind of, we're you know, probably taking a year or two to like really dabble into like what is next. But yeah. Brent and I did start a business um, that kind of started off as a side venture initially. Um mm-hmm. And this is back in, I'd say, late 2017, and we had the premise of, okay, Brent has an audience at the time around like 20, 25 million across social media. Uh-huh. Could we grow and develop content creators? I don't say through Brent, but like with Brent, yeah. And leverage his audience expertise to really train them to be, you know, successful and lasting, you know, you know, content creators. And at the yeah. time, we found our first creator who had like five or ten thousand on Instagram. Brought him on board, um, and that became pretty successful. Um, and then a a year or two after doing that, we kind of went all in on that model because Mm -hmm. it was working, but, um, yeah, that's kind of high level how it started. And again, kind of going back to that time period, Jake Paul started team 10 and I think there's a lot of hype around that. And he proved out that you can build audience, you can build creators, but I think just like the lack of infrastructure and, uh, I don't know just like building an actual like solid business and especially being careful like who's living together like for sure people not dating each other like all that stuff it kind of leads to a toxic culture that can like tear apart a company so yeah. we kind of wanted to go about it from a direction of okay can we do this in a brand friendly manner pro- provide proper infrastructure and see what can happen mm-hmm. as a result so
0: yeah yeah that's a that's a good uh, example i'm referring to the team 10. i'm curious That's so crucial. Like if you bring on an influencer that they fit your ecosystem, what, what, what was that recruiting process look like? Like, who were you looking for that would fit within your ecosystem?
1: Yeah. Um, I think the process has really evolved and changed. Um, Mm -hmm. just in the beginning, it was pretty simple. It's like, okay, like, do they have a good look or like, you know, will they, you know, be Willing to put in time into this, like just like generic things like that, or like, do we like them? Yeah, <laughs> and then I think over time, we've really really hone in, and now it's kind of uh, there's like a process we kind of have, uh, just to kind of make sure that if we're going to be investing in someone, it's worth our time. And obviously, again, yeah. you know, like you can't really control what happens after, uh, to a degree, but yeah. uh, it's just more of a balanced approach now versus just you know going with our guts, I'd say.
0: Yeah, so. for sure. So something I'm sure that our audience is like really curious of, uh, especially like creating a creator pool, is there like a schedule, like what content creation that they're required to show up for because they are with your your company? What does that look like? like you're expected to be here these days, these, these times, et cetera.
1: Yeah. So really how our business is structured, I kind of view it as like, again, like a creator driven media company. So. Yeah. All these channels or creators, it's kind of like a TV network, but for, you know, social media creators. So, you know, they kind of rely on other people to be in their content just like a cast does for a show, right? Like you can't like show up and it just be you and you expect other people to be there that wouldn't be good. Yeah. So each Monday we have a day that everyone just kind of comes together, film short form content. We kind of plan the week out, we check in with everyone and that just helps us like, set the foundation for the rest of the week. And then after that, everyone kind of goes off in their own directions. And, you know, they each kind of have like their own mini production teams or, you know, creatives that kind of helps them plan out their content for that week. Mm -hmm. And then they go about, you know, shooting it. And the expectation is like, hey, like, you know, make yourself available as best as you can to be in other people's content. And then they will reciprocate that as a result. Obviously we kind of have to balance it because you can't be, you know, you know, overbooked to a degree and, yeah. and not be able to like do what you need to do. But I think we have a really healthy balance and understanding of like the expectations and it's really helpful for everyone. You know, yeah. they share insights, they share knowledge, they share audiences and just like filming with more people who are like-minded and smart and you get along with, it just makes the content better. And it's just like, it's more fun versus a burden if you're just kind of doing everything on your own.
0: For sure. So. For sure. So I I know uh, AMP, the the scale you guys are at today, I'm not sure if you take on like consistent sponsors, partnership deals, et cetera. What does that look like when you're vetting out sponsors? They're also uh, uh, sending applications to your creators. Do you say like you can can only do this niche, you can only do this uh, category? What does that look like, sponsorship packages with specific creators?
1: Yeah. So I think it really depends on the platform. you know, all of our creators post weekly, you know, YouTube videos and like they're very focused about like what that content has to be. Yeah. So like if we get an offer or a deal, even if it's like a decent amount of money, like it's really more so creative first because you know, if it's not integrated properly or if it's a dedicated video, it will completely affect the performance of the piece of content and also like naturally like their next few videos. So, you know, I think for us, we kind of view it as like, okay, like how do we properly integrate this? Yeah. So it's a win-win, like we want it to like our content to do really well, but we also want this to be like really effective for our partner, making sure that we're, you know, hitting their talking points or messaging properly, but also like giving them what they want in terms of like views or conversions, whatever it may be. So it's very important that like it fits into like one, our schedule, two, the creative process, but also three, that we're actually delivering value for them just so it's not like a cash grab.
0: Yeah, for sure so i I'm also curious uh looking at your creators today um, do you ever see conflict like within the creator hub that you own, and also how does that how do you manage that if there is conflict resolved? um do you bring on more creators actively today? What does that look like
1: um well, like I think really in any business, like I kind of view it as like h yeah. r right it's like there's people in any business that you have, and like you need to make sure people are probably communicating or like they're happy that they know like you care about them
0: for sure. And it's the
1: same with us. Like I view issues as built in, like it's not like we're not going to have issues because like any type of company has issues. Yeah. Tesla, Apple, Amazon, there's always going to be issues. I think it's just more so about like the mutual understanding and respect everyone has for each other. And then just being able to properly communicate that and just like being adults, that's important. Mm -hmm. And that's why I think we're like, very curated about like the types of people that we work with because, you know, ultimately like we're all in this together and, you know, we just want to make sure everyone's aware of that. But yeah, like, obviously there's issues, but you know, I think we try to like get ahead of them and mitigate it. For
0: sure. I'm curious on your mindset, especially starting in 2013, you mentioned when Brett started in early days, you're not sure how much leverage he can carry through. How do you uh, project to your creators that momentum that what they're doing now can last five years, 10 years. Because I, I, I'm i familiar with yeah. Amp World and some of your Creators. And I mean, they've had ama- amazing careers just in the past five, yeah. 10
1: years. Yeah, no, I, I think it's really interesting. And it, it's also kind of hard to get like proper data on this industry, because yeah. a lot of it is really in the past like 10, 15 years, maybe like a few years before that. For so sure. like, <laughs> yeah, like, I think what I've learned <laughs> is that 90 some odd percent of these influencers or creators don't really last more than a few years at a time. Some even months at a time. Right. And even if they are lasting, it's like they have like a dead audience to a degree. So it's not really that valuable. So what's interesting just about like Brent is, and again, I'm not trying to like, you know, obviously I work with him, so I'm not trying to be too biased here, but you know, he's been doing this for, I'd say properly like a decade and he's the most relevant he's ever been right now. And I think if you kind of have the right people, the right mindset, and they're very data driven and analytical, they know how to like evolve and adapt. And I Mm -hmm. think oftentimes a lot of creators, if they grow too quickly or they don't have the proper infrastructure around them or support system, or they get big a certain way, and then that feature or that like algorithm Algorithmic uh, hack gets taken away. Yeah. They're kind of stuck, you know. And we see it time and time again. And I think for us, it's just like training them to be like very data driven, analytical, to constantly adapt. Um, and yeah, like one of our creators, Ben Azlar, mm-hmm. he's four and a half years in. He just he's hitting 170 million views per month on YouTube. Wow! And it's the biggest he's ever been right now, and he's just getting started. Yeah. And he's 20 years old, so like it's not like he's going to retire right now. Yeah. yeah. Um, which which is nice, but also. <laughs> Yeah, it just kind of like doing it for the right reasons and being intentional. And like, that's why I think finding people who are so passionate about it is important because I yeah. think if you're not passionate about it and you're doing it for the wrong reasons, you're not going to be as interested in trying new things or adapting. You're probably going to get burnout easier. And yeah, like even the best creators who are passionate about it get burnout, out. But yeah, I think they're going to want to stay in the game and, you know, play the game longer because they're doing it for the right reasons.
0: For sure. So, well, yeah, this conversation has been very insightful. And what I, I've seen from just the exterior of AMP World especially is that it's like such a tight knit family that I think it, they feel there's like relevance that their community feels like related to them, the way they yeah. engage with the other and creators in and the hub and et cetera. Well, I'd like to conclude each episode with this. If you could share one piece of advice with an aspiring entrepreneur, maybe something you've learned or regret along this process, yeah. uh, what would that be?
1: Yeah. It's, I'm trying to think. <laughs> I have a few things. It's one, it's just like, I think just be intentional about like who you work with, whether it's, you know, clients or, you know, partners whatever. I think that's just like so important. Just making sure that you're getting into business with people that you just like align with, you know, yeah. just like across the board. And two, um, I think just for young people starting out and like, this is kind of what I did, which helped me, it's just like, kind of focus on a niche especially something that like maybe isn't super hot or popular now, but like you kind of view it as a trend that could be a thing eventually. And that's kind of what I got into. And now the creator economy or influencer marketing, it's pretty massive now. But like I got into this nine years ago and like I did it not necessarily for the money, just because I thought it was interesting. And like, yeah, like there's obviously ways to like provide for yourself involved with that, but um, I kind of viewed it as an opportunity. And I think oftentimes people kind of go towards like, what is the shining object at the moment? And it's very saturated. It's hard to like Mm. establish yourself and there's a lot of competition. So, yeah, and there's also like a lot of like hype, especially now it's like the crater economy and like Web3 and NFTs. And like, I think people just like flood to things like simultaneously just because it's herd mentality, but really just like finding something that you kind of view as a niche and you can kind of grow with and ideally be, you know, I don't see a market leader after, you know, time, but you know, you can really grow with it. So
0: for sure. Well, Max, thank you so much for taking the time to join me and to the listeners out there, make sure to check out some more of Max's work at amp world at Ampstudios.co.
1: Appreciate it, Cameron.
0: Hey, thank you for listening to this episode of starting small. If you would leave a review on whatever platform you're listening on. Also follow starting small pod on social platforms to keep up to date on future guests.